Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. I am so excited to be bringing you yet another fantastic episode. This week's episode features the fabulous Jess Baker. Jess is the head, the founder of the Body Love Conference out in Arizona. And I got to know her online. We started talking and Believe it or not, I mean, I certainly couldn't. She made her way to New York City very unexpectedly, and I had the huge honor of having her over and interviewing her while she was in town. She emailed me her bio, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it because it's so good. Jess Baker is a positive, progressive, and magnificently irreverent force to be reckoned with in the realm of self-love advocacy and mental health. Jess is internationally recognized for her writing on her blog, The Militant Baker, The Attractive and Fat Campaign, and her dedication to shifting social paradigms into a place where all people are offered the opportunity to love themselves just as they are. The Attractive and Fat Campaign drew coverage from CNN, The Today Show, the BBC, and many other national and international media networks. Jess harnesses the power of vulnerability, honesty, and candor, through dialogue about living in a world where worth is determined by your dress size, diagnosis, and deference to authority. She is a pistol, and I had so much fun talking to her. I'm really looking forward to you guys diving on into the episode. But uh, before we dive on in, just another sweet little reminder, if you are enjoying this podcast, as many of you have, I am enjoying watching the subscriber numbers mount weekly, which is such a thrill to witness. If you are enjoying watching this, I encourage you to go to our website, lunchwithlegs.com, and go ahead and donate. Dave and I do this podcast out of love for all things podcasting <laughs> and other things that are a lot more eloquent than that. But even if you feel moved to give and you have a very limited budget, our first donation was $5, and it was received with abundant gratitude. So if you do feel like donating, go ahead, go to the lunchwithlegs.com uh, main page. There is a little PayPal button on the upper right-hand corner. Just click on Donate and give what you want. This podcast is a project and a, what's the word, uh, a pursuit of all things pleasurable and fun. So if you're enjoying it, please do show your love if that feels good. And if you can't give anything that's totally cool, go ahead and you can give some love by sharing the podcast with your friends. You can post on Facebook. You can tag me. You can tag Dave. You can tag all things Lunch With Legs, and we will be very, very grateful. And before we dive in, I just want to give a huge thanks to my fabulous producer, Dave Bird, who is sitting silently in front of me right now, uh, as he has magicked up a fabulous new recorder. The, the podcast has had some issues with sound quality, with recording, and uh, I want to thank him for his tireless work in getting us a recorder. And we both look forward to bringing you guys much higher audio quality on all future podcasts, especially as we magic up some new equipment. So thanks, Dave. All right, guys, you know the drill. Go ahead, get nice and comfortable, pour yourself a cup of something good, and get ready for my interview with the fabulous Jess Baker. Ba -ba -ba. Ba -ba -ba. 
Jess Baker, welcome to Lunch with Legs. What a pleasure to have you in my home all the way from Arizona. Thanks, Legs. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. It's such a pleasure. I love that um, this interview sort of happened out of the blue in a way. Mm -hmm. We were talking on the phone about your amazing conference, Body Love Conference, uh, and it just came up in conversation that you're coming to New York. And I was like, oh, my God, come to my house. Be on my podcast. So yeah. I'm really happy this worked out. It's wonderful. Yeah. Are you enjoying New York so far? It's been so lovely. The weather has been like 50 degrees and yeah, you couldn't ask for better. Yeah. What's the weather like in Arizona right now? Well, you know, it swapped. It's like 27 degrees there. What? Yeah. It, yeah. I brought the warm weather with me. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's been nice. Wow. I, it's, it's such a, I just, I love how this all worked out. Um, you, you are the creator and the the brains behind the brain and the body behind the body love conference out in Arizona. And it is a topic that is extremely near and dear to my heart. Um, can you tell us a bit about how the conference came around and sort of, the, and do please, my dear sweet listeners, pardon the uh, noise pollution because my cat Helen is doing a crazy jig on the back of the chair that Jess is sitting in. <laughs> so apologies for that. We don't have any, marauding mice trying to break in it's just my cat um so back to the question <laughs> she wants to be a part of it too she, she, well she is a part of it <laughs> whether we like it or not <laughs> um but yeah if you could tell us a little bit about the conference well i think it started because there wasn't so there's an a uh, community online, I'm sure you're aware of, of body advocates and uh, blogs and activism and all that, but it's all online. Mm -hmm. And so we become really isolated and it's, um, I thought it was really important to have like a physical space mm -hmm. where people could come together, talk about a really tough conversation. I think there's a lot to be said for having other people's energy around you and being able to like heal in those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and then also it's really important for the advocates to be able to get together. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of power there. Um, so that was a few, those are a few intentions behind the Biolive Conference. Um, also, I think that there isn't a conference for everyone. Mm. And there are a few like body based conferences. A lot of them are very specific, like, um, you know, queer, fat, very specific. Um, but I think we all know that this extends to everyone. Yeah. So I wanted it to be for everyone. So that's kind of where it came from. And um, Tucson's been pretty supportive in making it happen. It happened last year, and it was really successful. And so we're working on new incarnations of it. Amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So was last year the first year, or has it been going on? That's amazing. First and year. And Famous Bob came. Yeah. And yes. was she, uh, what was her role within it? She told me about it, which was the first time I had heard about the conference. Uh -huh. um, was she, um, a, did she speak? Did she teach? What did she do there? She did several. She, so she did teach her class there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she also hosted, we had like a really body positive review afterwards. And so she hosted that and performed and it was just magical. So Sorry, she was your hair did by Helen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I trust her. <laughs> yeah. She was wonderful. It was, yeah, it was great. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what are, I mean, what was the reception like? I mean, what, when all of, I mean, I love that you created a space for all bodies. Cause I know there's a lot of sort of, for lack of a better term, factions or different groups that, I mean, I feel across the board, no matter the gender, no matter the color, no matter the size, everyone who has a body 
has an enormous opportunity to heal. Yes. Enormous opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and I really love that you did the all-inclusive, you know, part of your mission statement. Mm -hmm. um, did you find that there was a certain group that was more represented among the people who came, or did you find it was pretty evenly spaced? I think it's really easy to fall into the rut of body love being visually just for straight white females. I mean, that really is something that happens a lot. Um, so we, because it was the first year, we did have a lot of that. I mean, we really did. Um, it was women-based last year. And mm -hmm. then what we're working towards is just being more gender and sex inclusive. Mm -hmm. um, we're actively doing that. So finding male speakers to come, you know, having transgender speakers come, having queer speakers come. Um, but last year definitely was, it was very female heavy. Um, and I couldn't tell you if there was like more straight or queer there, but it was, um, it could have used a lot more diversity, but I think it did really well for the first year that we had. I mean, awesome. it really served its purpose and people left with their lives changed and that was the point. So I think that was a success. And then, uh, this year we're really, so we're doing a regional conference this June, um, and we're giving ourselves a little extra time until 2016 to put together this national international one, awesome. um, which we're hoping will be really giant and very diverse on a fundamental level. So not just like topically diverse, but like fully integrated people feel comfortable and at home there um, because you're dealing with a really vulnerable subject that people are scared to even touch. So mm -hmm. you want it to be a really healthy, safe space for them. And we want to do it right. Absolutely. Yeah. Your personal background, do you have um, history working with groups, even in like a healing setting or social work setting? Or I what, do. What is your background? Um, I worked for several, several, several years in mental health. And I specifically did rehabilitation for adults that have serious mental illness. Wow. And um, my specific job was to help them get ready to go out and work independently. Hmm. But really what that involves is like life coaching in a way, because you're dealing with all of the barriers and most of them are soft skills. You know, it's, we all can cook food more or less after a few weeks, but um, it's the bigger stuff that we need to work with. So I have a lot of mental health experience, which just learning how humans work and develop and heal is like, it affects everything you do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. How yeah. did you come into that path? Did you study it in school? I did not. Did. I came into mental health through baking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest That's transition. Right. You are a baker. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I was a professional baker for a really long time. And wow. Tucson is a very small place. And I found this Craigslist ad that was looking for a baker with social work experience. And I grew up in a social work home and I was like, well, how many people fit that description? Not very many. So no, totally. I applied and got it. And so my training people to get ready for work was through baking. So I would train people to bake and go out and find baking jobs and no that evolved. Way. Yeah. Oh my God. How long did you do that for? For about four years. Oh my gosh. What was that transition like? You know, I worked an eighth as much and I was like 10 times more tired. It was really interesting to move from, um, you know, lots of quantity to quality and then social interactions and, you know, just dealing with people who are, um, continually wounded is just, it's a whole transition for oh. your mind and soul and all that. Yeah. But when I think once, um, you do it for a while, I think it just becomes something you naturally, yeah, it, it, it becomes less. So, 
Wow. But self-care is still really important when you're helping others. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I is learned it, that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure. Yeah. I yeah. was going to say, because that's, I mean, like you said, you know, you worked an eighth as much, but you were 10 times as tired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can imagine on an interpersonal level, the amount of just adjustments you may have had to make. I mean, because yeah. I, I, I mean, I had an internship at a psychiatric hospital for a year and years and years and years ago, back when I wanted to go into psychology mm. and learning how to, you know, there were certain ways that I could and could not talk to the patients. Yes. And there were certain things that I could and could not say, which to me was like brand new news, but I had also never been in that context before. Mm -hmm. What for you were some of the biggest challenges about that transition? I think it just taught me a lot of things that I use now, just human interaction. So I learned to communicate for sure and just live with intention. Mm. I think we can bounce around this world really easily and not be very aware of our actions or how much it affects someone else or why. That for me is the most interesting, like why it affects someone else so much. But Mm. I really learned to listen. It sounds interesting, but to listen to energy and like feel it and be very aware of the people that I'm with and what they need and why. And that, you know, you take that with you everywhere. Totally. So it was a really incredible skill to learn that I was kind of forced into because you can't do that job well if you don't. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was wonderful. Like the skill set learned there was just priceless. My God. And Mm. I have to ask, what was, uh, what would you find is the most healing baked good? (laughs) because <laughs> oh. i know it's like there is something so beautiful but also really therapeutic about baking um, yeah. but also receiving baked goods is a gift yeah. or you know like coming home is like oh i baked you a cake yeah. or i made cupcakes and there's something it's such a beautiful gesture of like i made this for you yeah and it tastes delicious yeah um have you found there's one like recipe or something that across the board just like flattens people in the best possible way Oh, I think that as far as like beneficial for the person who's making it and the person eating it, the babka is probably the best <gasps> because the bread takes a lot of intention when you yes. are making it. And there's a lot of like actual, so, you know, you can use a KitchenAid or you can do it by hand. And so, you know, just like putting that much work into something and then it's like artistically beautiful and just unbelievably delicious. So I think uh, everybody wins. Yeah, I'm more familiar with chocolate bob. Yeah, that's, yeah, chocolate bob. Is that, is that, are there more kinds of bob? I'm sure there are different fillings, but that's the one I always made with the streusel on top. Oh, my God. And my, um, my boss was Jewish, and so she gave it the stamp of approval. So I think that it was just, yeah, good for everyone. Oh, my God. And you are everyone's favorite person working in the baking Uh, department. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. There's something to that. Yeah. Totally. Another interesting thing I did there that um, I don't talk a whole lot about because it's really foreign to people, but I, I developed a curriculum and taught a class on peer support. Are you familiar with peer support at all uh, within mental I mean, health peer support in the sense of like being each other's allies yeah or, yeah it's that but like extended into the mental health system wow no tell me about it so basically they found that the most successful recovery comes from people who do have those allies mm-hmm. but the key and critical point is that their allies had the same lived experience so you can have a doctor oh. you can have a psychiatrist and we need all of those people with all of their resources and tools but there's something about having somebody who's also trained, but also knows what you've actually been through. I was going to say, has walked in your shoes Exactly. As well. Kind of like, you know, 12-step institutes yeah. that perfectly. Um, but this is in a very clinical, um, you know, 
you have a case manager, you also have a peer mentor. And wow. so it's just wildly successful and they're just finding so many great positive things. So all the funding is going to that. Uh, it's a very hot thing in Tucson and Arizona in general. That's fantastic. Yeah. New Zealand has been doing this in Australia for a decade, but of we're course. catching on. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're catching we on. We are. We are. Wow. We're a little behind, but yeah. So, uh, so I then transferred into teaching people how to become peer mentors. So still job training, but no longer baking, how to go out and work in the mental health field wow. as a paraprofessional. And that's a really huge step for people who've had a mental illness to go and work in a professional environment. Oh, sure. So it was really great. And these are, and the cool thing is that it really takes things we view as flawed and broken. So you have a mental illness and it says, no, Actually, you have strengths and talents that no one else can have. You are this really special individual that can become a superhero with the right training. Totally. It's really empowering. So, yeah, that's, I love that part. Oh, that's so amazing to hear because I know yeah. there's so much stigma around mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you know, even the different forms of mental illness, you know, some of the more severe ones and the much more mild ones that people may not necessarily know about right. until... Right. You know, later on, mm-hmm. um, I, the, both people who are diagnosed in their, their family and friends yeah. and their communities. Um, but I think that the, the peer, the peer, that, that, that's an amazing, that's an amazing program. Um, I'm really happy to hear that that's existing. Are you going to be incorporating? I mean, how, I guess I have two questions. One is, are you going to be incorporating any of that into long-term the body love conference? Um, or also, do you? Um, how has that informed your creation of the conference? Mm. Well, I think when you're dealing with strength-based anything, you're seeing the person for the person. Mm-hmm. So person-first language is instead of saying, like, that bipolar person, you're saying the person with bipolar because the person is way more important than yes. their diagnosis. And Absolutely. there's a million more parts to them than just the diagnosis. So I think that that just translates in general. So, you know, you're... Um, not just your body type. You're not just what you look like. There are a million different parts oh, of you. Jesus, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that for me is something that is just like ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live in such a superficial society mm-hmm. or and a visual society mm-hmm. where, and I grew up in Manhattan and a little bit outside Manhattan, and within the context of you know a lot of very privileged white, you know, wealthy people, and a lot of the dads of these families were on Wall Street making a lot of money in the 80s. I mean, that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And watching not only how – it certainly wasn't all of them, but watching how some of them, you know, got very snobby or, you know, started to treat – in my I mean, in my very young eyes, started to treat their – wives and families like showpieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's old as time. Yeah. Um, that yeah. is not unique to that. That was just my introduction to it. But yeah, I mean, as I've gotten older, especially working in burlesque, you know, seeing how many people, and you look to advertising. I mean, there's so many, especially young girls, but young boys as well, who feel they're only as good. They're only as valid as what they look like. Mm-hmm. If they are, somehow undesirable in the public eye, they have lost a sort of social currency and are thus Mm -hmm. worthless. Oh, yeah. And I think that is such an incredibly destructive um, mindset as well as it's not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's just such a shame that so many people spend so many 
so much time and so many millions of dollars, billions of dollars, you know, to look certain ways so that they can be accepted when they're leaving a lot on the inside completely untouched. When Mm. in reality, it's like work on the inside. It will reflect outwards. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even if it, if it doesn't, you know, if you heal yourself on the inside and if you're really unhappy with how your body looks or, you know, how your hair looks or whatever, it's when we change our relationships to ourselves is when everything else shifts on the outside. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something I, you know, and yeah. that, that, that's very much my mission in this lifetime to mm-hmm. help, especially women, but I would love to also work with men and transgendered people mm-hmm. of their own gender choosing mm-hmm. um, to realize their own unique gifts, just as you said, like, oh, that person, oh, yeah, she's bipolar, he's bipolar, like, oh, yeah, he's gay. It's like, okay, he loves men. What else about him? There's mm-hmm. more to him than his sexuality. There's more to him than his appearance. I think yeah. that's a, a huge thing that our, I mean, not only our country, but the world really needs to be working on yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, it's really complicated because, yeah, as you know, as women, we're told that our worth is defined by our body and our mm-hmm. outward appearance. Um, but at the same time as humans, we're more likely to be told that like our insides are okay. Like we're a good friend or we're really intelligent or, um, all of those things. And what we're not told is that our bodies are okay the way they are. Um, so when I say like seeing more than just the body, I think that comes with, uh, mostly when it, it comes to strangers, like we're so quick to categorize people and to judge them by the only thing we can see. Um, and that really needs to stop. And a lot of people then ask me, okay, well, if the body is not the like only thing, then why are you so superficial? And why are you always talking about body image? Like, why aren't you talking about other components of people? And I, I think that it's just because the body is so left out mm-hmm. and it's something that we're told that needs to change. And, and it's a significant part of us. And it's also the way we participate in the world. So it's the way we move without throughout the entire world. It affects everything we do. Um, and when we hate what we present to everyone else and it just, and it's the interesting thing is that it is an internal decision. So mm-hmm. it's exactly, it comes right back to what you were just saying. Yeah. Cause yeah. We, uh, you, it's, I mean, as a firstborn older daughter, eldest daughter, rather, I definitely enjoy thinking that I can change people. I mean, that's <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> my, younger daughter, bro- yeah. my, my, my younger brother could speak volumes about that, I'm sure. Um, but it is, yeah, I mean, one of the things I realized pretty early on um, was that I, I, I mean, nobody can change somebody else. Right. The change, the decision to change has to come from within. Yeah. And the same thing with bringing it back to say like addiction issues, um, which I know in some schools of thought are classified as a mental disorder. Um, you know, right. certainly you know, right. 12 step programs and all that. But I was actually just listening to something yesterday that talks about how our brains are actually hardwired to become addicted to things. I didn't listen to it too deeply, so I can't talk at length about it. But, you know, even in that sense, like, it's so funny, like, looking at popular advertising, and they're like, oh, I crave this, get addicted to this. And it's like, no, how about I I buy your product if I want to? (laughs) You know, like, I am in charge of my own life experience. And But unfortunately, I also feel that a lot of people, like, we're so, especially in America, especially in America, we are dumbed down to just, like, take what we're given. Yeah. And there's a, thank God, you know, a small vocal minority that Mm -hmm. is like, hell no, like people wake the fuck up. Look at what you're being fed. Look at what you're being told. 
And, yeah. you know, a lot of people are just like, no, like, yeah, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that. Like, yeah. I, I stopped reading magazines a long time ago. I mean, I'll, I ended up subscribing to them because they're, I got so many mailers and I like making vision boards. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll subscribe to, like, O Magazine and Real Simple because I like to cut them up and paste yeah. them on board. But <laughs> I won't read, you know, Cosmo or yeah. Self or any of those magazines. I mean, because they, they are part of that toxic diet that people take in because I feel, you know, the all everything that we take in in our lives is a diet all of it is like there's you know food diet then there's the emotional diet yeah. as well and yeah. so many women i know so many i went to all girls schools for 8 years <laughs> and i got to know so many amazing women who would steadfastly refuse to recognize their own brilliance and instead really you know, fixate like, oh no, I have to lose lose five pounds. I have right. to lose. I have right. to lose this. I have to lose that. Or on the flip side, if there's a huge traumatic event, or if there's just like a hormonal change and they put on a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight, they would become ostracized in a way. Yeah. And I feel that women, especially, and men do it too, but women especially are really good at projecting <laughs> onto each other. They've really trained us well to yes. keep each other in line. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we do exactly. all the hard work now. Yeah. And it's time. Yeah. It's, I, I would love to, you know, certainly be a part of breaking that yeah. covenant. And yeah. It's just like, no, fuck that. How about we be happy and healthy? Yeah. I think, so I, you were going to ask me what my mission is. And I, you had mentioned it before and I was like, oh my God, I don't know, actually. <laughs> but I, I think that you just pretty much summed it up when you were talking about the advertisements and saying... I'll buy that if I want to buy that. And I think that, um, I think that complete and total, uh, choice is the most important thing. So I, I'm not against boob jobs. I think that people should have them if they want them, Mm -hmm. but I would love for people to be educated so that they know that they don't have to. Um, and they also shouldn't be ashamed if they do, like it's your body, it's your life and you get to make all of the choices. And so, um, having people, yeah, be educated and have options is the most important thing. And if we didn't feel so, uh, trapped down by, you know, this large amount of advertising and brainwashing that we have that's historically rooted in our U.S. economy. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't make all the decisions that we do now. Um, so we kind of need to free ourselves a little bit. And so, yeah, education is the most important thing. I was just about to say, what do you think it's going to take for people to start shrugging off that mantle? It's happening. And I was, um, I think I was just talking to my boyfriend about this, how, you know, my grandmother had it, you know, she was, you know, World War II was significant, if you read The Beauty Myth. In I love that book. Yeah, okay, so significant in changing the, you know, it created this perfection that then used women as the target uh, for advertisements and said, this is perfect, you must become this in order to be happy. So um, really what we see today is an extension of that. Um, and of course it's really complicated, that's a brief version. But so my grandmother was really close to that, right? And mm-hmm. then it transferred, so we see a lot of this transferring from parent to parent, usually mother to mother to their daughters and their sons. And, um, but I think it's getting better. I think that, you know, the the internet for all of its pros and cons, um, makes information available. And, you know, we see in Buzzfeed and Upworthy, all this body positive stuff now and it's trending and it's wonderful. And I think that, you know, my kids will have it easier. And I think it's, it's amount of having amazing people stand up and say no, um, which is really hard to do because, you know, you're fighting, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of 
of training and then also having education to make the choices yourself. Right. Yeah. And finding value, you know, refinding value and in, in more important things. And um, the body can be a thing you find value in. And like, you know, so people talk about altering body. Like I have a lot of tattoos mm-hmm. and that's a form of altering my body. Absolutely. So, um, but I made that choice because I really wanted to, and it wasn't because I felt any societal pressure. And so um, changing your body however much or little you want to and just feeling free. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what I hope real, for everyone. freedom in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel it's really, um, I think we've witnessed a huge sort of awakening on that front and continued awakening, mm-hmm. certainly over the last 10 years. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, like I didn't know anybody who had a tattoo I mean, I knew some counselors at summer camp who had tattoos, but they had, like, a lizard on their shoulder. Yeah. You know, it's like, but and, like, tiny things. Yeah. And then, like, suddenly, you know, late 90s, 2000 hit, and suddenly people were getting tribal tattoos. And then suddenly mm. it's like now, certainly living in Brooklyn, yeah, you know, you see, like, 20-year-olds in full sleeves. And, and it's, it's am- I mean, it's amazing. Um, and I, I, it's funny to watch sort of the old guard, the older generation be mm-hmm. like, Whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of whom are like, hey, that's fucking rad. And others being like, oh, what? You've destroyed your body. Yeah. You realize that's permanent, right? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Really putting ink under my skin, it ain't going to yeah. fade. Yeah. We yeah. have a long way to go as far as body Absolutely. autonomy goes. But I think, I guess body I feel. autonomy, yes. <laughs> that's what I was looking at. I was trying to come up with a, that's it, yeah. body, body autonomy. Yeah. But I think we're making steps. And I think that's really exciting. And, the, okay, so the most incredible thing about this entire revolution, if you want to call it that, is that it's a completely personal and private decision that you can make. Like you either decide you want to love your body or not. Um, and nobody is able to take that away from you. It's not a thing. It's not tangible. You decide that you're okay and you are. And so, um, that's really powerful because that is total empowerment. It is. And then the coolest part too, is the best way that it spreads is just loving yourself and being around other people and it's contagious. So it's not going anywhere. It's just getting better. It's just an uphill battle for those who work in this field because you are fighting so many years of, of very funded marketing and historical evolution. And we really are trapped, um, but we're getting out of it. So there's hope. (laughs) Yeah. What would you like to see uh, within the body love conference? Do you want to see it in different cities? Do you want to see it around the world? What, what, what is your vision for the conference? You know, I really didn't, so I really didn't know what I wanted it to look like, Mm -hmm. um, after last year. And I have a very clear vision now and I have to have a clear vision because I have to be committed at this point. (laughs) There's no way out of this. So, um, I think I want it to, so that it could go several ways. It could go, um, into the, um, elite body love community, or it could be really accessible and I want it to be accessible. And that does not mean free because it's very hard to put on conferences for free, but I want it to be really inclusive Mm -hmm. and, um, have cross sections of a lot of different kinds of people. And I would like to see it maybe, you know, by coastal eventually, Mm. but you know, having like one international national one every other year is still so much. So we'll see how much it grows. Um, but yeah, I, I think, 
the radical, so there's like a really shocking, amazing, controversial part of body love in general, but the radical part would be for it to be inclusive. Yeah. Which is a struggle, but we'll work on it. You mentioned, um, you know, the two different ways it could go. One was the elite. What do you mean by the, like the body, the body positivity elite? Well, I think that it could easily go back to, um, the straight white female. I mean, I, there are people out there that have a lot of money. Um, and what's interesting is we, you know, pitched this idea of like a $300 ticket for two days. Um, and that's pretty low for a two day conference, all inclusive with the kind of thing. It's still considerably less, but half price, but I think it's still, it reaches people's inherent brokenness that they mm-hmm. didn't, you know, like you don't even try cause you think that you can't. Um, and so I would really like my goal um, is to find the, enough sponsorship and that's a lot of work on our part, but finding enough sponsorship to lower that at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have the aesthetic be really approachable. Um, we will probably still be having it in a really nice place. Mm-hmm. Um, but just making it approachable in every other way possible. Totally. So it's a really weird balance when you're dealing with self care and you're dealing with social justice. It's really hard to blend those wow. things. Yeah. Wow. Because you, you leave a lot of people on the outside no matter where you go. Holy shit. Does that make sense? That absolutely. Yeah. I, I never thought about that juxtaposition. But that's so <laughs> For me, I certainly, with all of my extraordinary friends who have done a lot of social justice, there does tend to be a lack of self-care. Yes. Because they give so much to the cause. Yeah. So much of their time, of their energy, um, sometimes their own resources, and then they come away, you know, having done some great work, but they themselves are empty. Mm-hmm. And in desperate need of self-care, whereas on the flip side, and again, this would be the extreme case, people who are very involved in self-care sometimes don't always, you know, participate outside of their own process because they're so, and again, that a, that's an extreme example, but Mm -hmm. also I feel that sometimes that those moments of almost ascetic dedication to either oneself or the community, whichever, you know, right. the end of it, you know, community or self that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think moderation is, is wonderful, but I, I, that, that is a fascinating juxtaposition. We don't blend it as a society. We don't, we tell people who work on social justice and social work and all of that, that they need to suffer in order for their message to be meaningful. Um, but what that does is that burns them out very quickly and their maximum potential is never reached, which is sad because that stunts progress. Yeah. So we really do need to change that. I am not willing to fight that battle on the long, on the, like the larger scale. <laughs> Somebody else needs to do that. Um, but for this conference, like it's really interesting to try and blend. Yeah. This like very radical um, needing to be accessible movement. And then also in a place that doesn't scare people away, but also feels comforting and like self care to others. Mm-hmm. So we'll figure it out. This is very uncharted territory. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what we're working on. Wow. <laughs> oh God, that is so cool. Um, who are some of your dream people to come speak at the conference? Are there individuals or just, you know, groups that you would really love? Um, representatives, voices, I, you know what, I feel like the people who really signed on for 2016, you know, I had given you a call and, um, well, I am in like Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to ask me twice. That was so great. Yeah. <laughs> that was so important to have that representation too. Um, 
burlesque is just a whole other fascinating body love oh, world. Yeah. yeah, it's just great. I'm uh-huh. sure you talk about that all the time. Um, but I feel like we have a dream team. I really do. Like people who, and of course we'll be checking back closer to 2016, but people who said they're still into it is like Linda Bacon, who wrote Health at Every Size, and um, Virgie Tovar, who's a good friend in the Bay Area. And just basically these really, really large, um, you know, Andrew Wallen, he um, lives in, I believe, Baltimore. He lives in Maryland. And he runs um, an eating disorder center for men. Oh my God. And just like, you and know, just got full body goosebumps. Yeah. Because that's so rare because, yeah. um, hetero men are told to not talk about it. And so we can talk about female body image as like us being the targets of advertising and it's a huge deal and it's really big and it's a huge problem we need to solve. Um, but men are told to like shrug off bullying to compensate in other ways. And there's no conversation. So to find somebody, uh, that talks about that specifically was like a magical day for me. So he's interested. Um, Sonia Renee Taylor is a poet and she's really changed my life and she's coming back. She was there last year. Oh, amazing. Yeah, she was one of the, yeah, her and Bob hit it off. It was really cute. Um, yeah, just, you know, there's like 30 large names, like all of the people who are represented in and have written books and doing all of that kind of stuff. And it's really powerful. So I'm excited. That's really And then cool. someday we'll get Melissa McCarthy there. And... <laughs> Absolutely. Or, you know, I would... And who are some of your dream, atten- yeah. dream presenters? That's so funny because, like, my world is so full of, like, activists. So, like, those are my dream people. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Um, there was a video Monica Lewinsky did. Uh, uh, I feel like she talked to, like, a Forbes group. Um, but she talked about what it was like to have your image destroyed on the Internet and be the first person. Oh, my God. Because this was, like, the first time where the Internet had outweighed other news sources, like, ever. Um, And it was just so inspirational and, like, gave me goosebumps, right? Like, multiple times. And I would love to have her come talk. So maybe we'll we'll email her. Like, stranger things have happened, you know. So we'll we'll see someday. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, for people who are um, interested in knowing more about the conference, knowing more about you, where can they go? Um, and I have a couple more questions after this. Okay. This is not the official sign-off. Okay. Um, well, I have a blog that um, is updated, and it's called The Militant Baker. So it's themilitantbaker.com. And then the conference webpage will be updated soon, and it's bodyloveconference.com. Amazing. And there's Facebook pages, all the social media you can want. All the yeah, <laughs> and more. <laughs> and more. Um, it's so many. So for people who are <laughs> interested in embarking upon a path of body acceptance, uh, or just even tapping into new ways to think about one's own self-image, do you have any books or resources that you recommend people to check out, or some of your favorite sort of authors or books or? any source of information um, Mm. that you would recommend? Yeah, I think there's, so I think there's lots of ways you can do that. Um, If you're really, so a lot of times people are swayed by science. Um, So if you're looking for that, I would recommend reading Health at Every Size. Um, That's by Linda Bacon. It is. And it talks about um, these we just misconstrue health so much. And it's because a lot of it is funded by weight loss industries, but it really takes um, a solid sampling and it 
is just food for thought and how to reframe the way we view, you know, fat equals unhealthy, skinny equals healthy. So that's really uh, fascinating for a lot of people because it's so novel. Um, one book I really enjoyed is called Lessons from the Fatosphere. And it's by Marion Kirby and Kate Harding. And they kind of started um, back in the live journal days. They had a community. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I remember live journal. Yeah. yeah. So they share their findings. And it's an overall book that was really helpful for me. Um, I So one thing I recommend, I, I speak at colleges. And um, I share 10 ways you can change your world without changing your body. Um, and one of them is to reinvent your media feed, to diversify it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful because we don't realize how easily conditioned we are. And so one of the most transformative things I did um, in the very beginning when I was writing online is I went onto Tumblr and I looked up body positive Tumblrs. And there's hundreds of hundreds and hundreds. And I subscribed to all of them. And then I would go through my Tumblr feed and there would just be so many different bodies in not in negative ways, like positively framed. It blew my mind. And it was really shocking and almost off-putting in the beginning, right? Because we're so conditioned. Um, But the more I looked at them as with everything else, the more you look at them, the less shocking they become. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was really incredible. And I started to not find the pictures weird. And then I started to not view others as so weird. And then I started to not view myself as so weird. And so it really normalized diversity. Um, so I recommend that. And it's just really good reconditioning for your brain. And then I would recommend my blog. I have yeah. a, I have a resources tab and there's a whole list of, you know, other websites and whatnot. Amazing. Yeah. Now, not to, uh, completely, expose what you talk about at schools if you want to like keep some stuff under wraps for anybody who might want to have you come speak. Can you talk <laughs> a, at all about the what you just said, the top 10 ways to yeah. change? Because that, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's really important to be solution-focused. And, and, Amen and hallelujah. And we have, like, we have to acknowledge the really shitty parts. Like, yep. There's no point in just being positive because that just yep. is blindness. So yep. you acknowledge the horrible and then you're like, okay, now what do we do about it? And what you can do about it, and I don't mind sharing them at all because I write about them. Um, some of them is like the first one is start now. And mm. I, I think that a lot of times we put off, you know, I'll love myself after 10 pounds are lost. Um, but I shared with readers, you know, I wrote this post like sobbing because it was just so intense for me. But I found these pictures from the last 10 years, including college. And I was a lot thinner in college. And it kind of was shocking to me because I was like, oh, my God, my body does get smaller. Like this is not like what it always has been. Mm-hmm. And it was never small by any means, but it was smaller. And I was like, God, I was so beautiful. Like maybe um, if I revert back to like what I could be, right? Because my body was that. I could be that. If I revert back to old me, if I change my body, I'll be happier and more mm-hmm. successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, re- you know, I look looking at these pictures and I'm remembering memories. But also what I remember is that version of myself 10 years ago in college hated herself so much and she was incredibly suicidal and just really would rather die than like live in that body that she had and she was unable to see what I see now and so I realized after that that I was happy and I was content and maybe I was bigger than I was before but happiness is not it's not a dress size it really isn't I know that sounds cliche but it's you know it's a state of mind and you can have that no matter what you look like and so 
Um, yeah, starting now is important, like this very second. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage people to educate themselves on the history of why we've learned to hate our bodies. It's I mentioned this before, but it's deeply entrenched in our U.S. economy. Um, and once you have those facts, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I fell for that. <laughs> um, to normalize mental health, to diversify the media feed is one of them. Um, to create affirmations, and I'll share this with you really quickly, but I think one of the other same as diversifying the media feed, one of the really transformative things we can do is to stop our negative thought process. Mm-hmm. So I encourage everybody who comes to the lecture to either give them a poster or they find one at home and they write an affirmation or something they love about their body. Um, and it's sometimes people can't come up with something they love about their body, so they create an affirmation. And the point is you put it on a mirror wherever you have the most negative thought. And when you're looking in that mirror and having a negative thought, you have to stop and read it out loud. And it's not good enough to just read it in your brain because it's not powerful enough to stop these years of, like, training. So you stop and you read it out loud, and the negative and the positive can't exist at the same time. And so you're jump-starting your brain in another direction. And if you do that enough, uh, you'll see significant changes. Absolutely. Yeah, so I encourage them to do that. Um, and then I encourage them to wear what scares them. I think we do a lot of self-policing on what we should and should not wear, and it's mm-hmm. a political act to wear um, what you love and to take up space. Amen. And... Um, and then I encourage people to let themselves have bad days because I, I think this isn't a journey that like is fixed overnight. And I, I have a feeling like I still have really horrible days. Um, and I have a feeling that I will probably for the rest of my life because I'm dealing with like 26 years of, you know, indoctrination of the wrong things. And so, um, just allowing yourself to like have really bad days and then just to brush yourself off and keep moving. Cause that's, you have to be realistic. Absolutely. That's my talk in a nutshell. Wow. Oh, you know what? There is a TEDx Tucson talk of me doing a 15 minute version of that. No way. Yeah. And there's visuals. So that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) If we go on to, if we just search for Jess Baker TEDx Tucson, it'll come up. Yes. All right. Maybe I'll pop that in. I'll I'll put that into the blog notes when I post this episode. So people can, uh, if they go to my website, lunchwithlegs.com, they can just automatically watch the YouTube video. Love it. Yes. And yeah. Oh my God. It was so hard to get 50 minutes down to 15, but I did it. <laughs> the TED, the whole TED Talks, I mean, I am so impressed by them. And I actually, uh, I know a gal uh, who's a performer named Lillian Bustle who just yeah. gave a TED Talk in New Jersey. Ooh, I'll have to watch it. Um, about body image. Really? Uh, <laughs> and I haven't been able to connect with her since she spoke about it, but we talked about it beforehand. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and I just remember she was like, yeah, I'm really nervous. And I was like, uh, yeah. I mean, the ima- imagining coming up with a speech to then memorize, have it be fucking spot on and then memorize it and be able to give it with no notes. I mean, what? And if it's over 18 minutes, then it will never air. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was Hashtag a- no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did, you know, like, I don't think it's the best I've ever done, but I was just really like... Uh, congratulatory for myself for just doing it. Uh, yeah. I speak a lot, but that was nerve wracking. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so now it exists on the interwebs and, uh, yeah. God bless it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, when are you coming out with your book? <laughs> well, it's due February 2nd, so Amazing. I've got a month to finish. I didn't even know you were writing a book. Oh, I was yeah. like, it's, this is perfect. Like, you, of course you need to be writing a book, but I'm so happy your deadline is in like a month, a month and change, yeah. five weeks. I'm going to be, yeah, bending over my computer for 
uh, a month and finishing that. So yes. And it's with seal press, which is a great feminist publishing company. And, um, I don't know when it will come out maybe late this year, early next year, but wow. yeah. Wow. Can you share the title or anything it's about or, well, you know what? I really wanted it to be generally body positive. Mm-hmm. Um, they really wanted it to be geared towards fat girls. Huh. So they win. And the cool thing is that all things that apply to fat girls apply to everyone. Absolutely. So we both win, actually. So it's called Things No One Will Tell Fat Girls, so I will. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. A current and future published author. Yeah. That's so exciting. <laughs> oh, the, the pressure is definitely on for this one. But I work great under pressure, so it will be just fine. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for taking some time out of your New York City vacation to come talk to me. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing not only your book, uh, <laughs> which I will totally pre-order off of Amazon, um, but also just thank you for your work. Thank Aww. you for being a, 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 a voice of, you know, the awakening. Thank you, thank you so much as well, and thanks for having me. Anytime. <laughs> so there you have it, folks, my interview with the fabulous Jess Baker. You can follow her and her fantastic musings and advocacy and all things militant baking, for lack of a better term. You can go to themilitantbaker.com. And do stay tuned for all things Body Love Conference. I look forward to participating in a future one. And, uh, yeah, let Jess know that you listen to this. And do please follow her. She's teaching and uh, holding space for some really great stuff. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Have a fabulous week. And I look forward to bringing you a fresh new podcast next week. Thanks so much. Be good to you. Lots of love.